Hey, hi, I'm glad you joined us. Uh, you know, we started this Bible study in a living room, so it's not that strange that now we're in a living room again, only it's your living room. <laughs> uh, that's crazy because we're in thousands of living rooms today. Uh, years ago, we set a goal of having a Cornerstone campus uh, within driving distance of every uh, East Bay home. We had no idea that we would literally be in every East Bay neighborhood, uh, all over the Bay Area, all over the world for that matter. Uh, so we just thank God for you. Thanks for joining us. The fact that you join us uh, is a real encouragement uh, to us. And thanks for sheltering at home out of love uh, for your neighbors. Uh, but as you know, these weekend services have become a real emotional, spiritual, social touch point uh, for us, uh, for any of us who calls Cornerstone uh, home. And your participation today is keeping us strong, as is your willingness to maintain strict standards of social distancing. I know it took some of us a while to agree that this was a good idea, but you really are protecting uh, the older folks among us, uh, I actually being one of them, and uh, those that are more vulnerable because of uh, pre-existing conditions. So thank you so much. And I'm here to remind you of some things that were going on before this all hit. Like, can you believe it's only been two weeks since this has been? It seems like two years. I mean, do you remember? We're celebrating Lent right now. We started observing Lent way back at Ash Wednesday, which seems like uh, a long time ago. Uh, and in the up upheaval this last couple of weeks, I know a lot of us have kind of stopped practicing Lent. So let me remind you, let's get back into the, the stream of things. Uh, since 325 AD, Christians have been uh, setting aside this six and a half weeks, 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter to fast and to specifically fast something that they would normally crave. And, uh, but this year has been unique in all of Christian history. This has never happened in Christian history where every Christian in the world is fasting the exact same thing. And not because we chose it, but it chose us. We are all fasting fellowship. We're fasting being together. Now, I imagine if you're an introvert, this hasn't been that hard. It may have been a relief. Uh, but for the rest of us, it's felt wrong since day one when we were forced into seclusion uh, and living with the same people every single day. Or maybe you live alone, so your time at home isn't that different, but you've been used to uh, at least once and maybe many times a day getting out of the house, getting together with friends, going to work, and having a social life outside your home. Well, now you don't have it in the home or outside of the home. I think it could get lonely pretty, pretty fast. But here we are, and since we're fasting fellowship, denying ourselves the human contact that we crave, can I encourage you to embrace more time, more contact, so to speak, with Jesus? Uh, these 40 days of, uh, of fasting of Lent have always been about not doing something so we have more time to focus on uh, Christ. So I encourage you between now and Easter to fill the void for human connection with a greater connection with Jesus. Uh, join us every weekend. Join us during the week on social. Uh, you can download this list of, of songs. Uh, Christian, if you can put up uh, where people can just hit those links or you can search on Spotify yourself. Uh, these are uh, three different uh, 
uh, playlist that you could get a hold of. I think we're posting a couple of them right now as well. Brenda and I have had all these playlists playing at different points in our home, and I have been amazed at how just walking through the kitchen and getting a song into my head has changed my whole attitude for the next hour or two. Also, as you experience your growing need for human touch, ask Jesus to touch you. Now, it's not the same, but he is there in your home with you, and he wants to make his presence known. So I think in all this, I'm just saying, don't just survive this season, but embrace it and let the isolation become this weird blessing this year for Lent. Next year is going to be probably back to normal, whatever normal is. Uh, but uh, let's use this time to connect with, with Jesus. And also, don't forget to read a little scripture uh, every day. I remember a, a month ago when we opened up Philippians for the first time, many of us read the book, uh, the, the, the letter, in one sitting. It takes about 12 minutes. It's four chapters. Or some of us uh, played it on our Bible app and let the guy read it to us. Well, I did this again yesterday, and I was amazed how much different Philippians sounds since coronavirus uh, than the, before. It sounded like a completely different letter. I wanted to go back and re-preach some of these same verses based on what we've been going through, but just go back and read it, and you'll see uh, what I saw, that the Bible reads differently during different circumstances. All right, so open your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, and let's read a few of these verses. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's go back to verse 4 and start picking this apart for all the beautiful things that are there. Starting with this phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. These words coming from a man who would seem... Uh, it would seem he had very little to rejoice over. He was incarcerated. He was quarantined. He was waiting for a judicial hearing, knowing that it might not end well for him. Not to mention the fact that Paul would have been restless. He was not one to uh, sit still. He never stayed in one place for very long. He was an extrovert. Uh, he was rarely alone, and he was, rare, he was almost always leading a very robust conversation, usually about Jesus, but here he was, isolated from conversation, isolated from his friends, and kept indoors. So how can he write this? Always rejoice in the Lord, he says. Well, one thing's for certain, he's not saying rejoice because life is going great, but he is saying always rejoice. 
And this is what sets Paul apart. Uh, For that matter, this is what sets all of us apart as well. Because everyone rejoices when things are going great for them. But who rejoices in times like ours? Who rejoices when their friend has just been diagnosed positive? Who rejoices when they're waiting for a phone call any day from work to tell them they're not going to have a job? Well, according to Paul, we do. Paul says our rejoicing is different because it's not circumstantial. Our joy is different in that it is an always kind of joy. Our joy, then, is illogical. We can have joy when we're frightened. We can have joy when we're sad. We can have joy when we're uncertain. We can have joy when our situation feels lonely or scary. We can have joy when our family's driving us crazy or when we wish there was a family around us. Look at what Paul says here. Read it slowly. Rejoice in the Lord always. That wasn't slow enough. Read it really slow. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, the key to always is in the middle there with the phrase, in the Lord. That's how we rejoice. We don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord because circumstances change, but Jesus never does. He is the the consistent. He is the X in our equation. He never changes. And this is how we find joy on days like today. We don't find it in the season. We find it in the Savior. We are followers of Christ Jesus. And our leader chose joy in the most unusual times. Uh, He was experiencing joy on a day that I would never have expected. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 tells us that uh, we should keep our eyes on Jesus to focus on Christ who, and get this, for the joy that lay before him endured a cross. Jesus, as he was enduring the cross, was looking through the cross, was looking past the cross, at the purpose of the cross, and that was causing him to have joy in the middle of pain. It's hard to imagine, but Christ felt joy in the deepest of physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering. The mental anguish anguish, did not take his joy away from him. And as his followers, we have access to the same joy. Scripture says the same spirit that was in Christ dwells in us. Therefore, we can have his joy, his always joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And then he goes on. Let your gentleness, other translations say graciousness, let your graciousness be evident to all. Written by Paul, probably at one time the least gentle, least gracious person you could ever meet. But today he is coaching all of us in gentleness and graciousness. Wow, what a word for those of us, especially those of you parents that are cooped up with your kids 24-7. Britt and I have been praying for you parents. We've been praying especially for you single parents, that Christ would give you extra doses of grace and gentleness. I mean, it's got to be so challenging. I mean, I know you love your kids, but wow, when are you going to get a break? It's just every day, all day. 
And your kids are feeling it too. I mean, they're loving being out of school, but they're feeling the unusual nature of it. And they hear you talking on, on your phone and, on, on, and, 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 and they, they can tell that this is stressing you out. You know what you could do? You could ask your children to pray for you. Literally to take your hand and pray for you. I, I think you're really good at comforting them. Maybe they could comfort you a little bit. I bet your child would have some gentle grace for you if you were to ask them for it and tell them that you're really struggling to hold it um, together. Kids, if you're still watching, I want you to do something for me. Are you sitting near your parent? If not, get up and move over toward them. Snuggle up to them or take their hand and hold their hand for a little bit while I'm talking and just pray for them. And your prayer for them is going to reassure them that everything is going to be okay. And then for the rest of this day, could I assign you children something to do? You kids, I think you can do this. Uh, let the Lord Jesus use you to calm things down in your household. So that tonight when everyone goes to bed, it feels peaceful. Not because the parents made it that way, but because the kids made it that way. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? All right, keep reading. Let your gentle graciousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The author of grace is near. He's right there with you today. Ask for him to give you enough grace to share with everyone in your household. Forgive them because he forgave you. Be patient with them because he is patient with you. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Yeah, right, Paul, I, I won't. I won't be anxious about my 87-year-old parents. I won't be anxious about Cornerstone staff being able to keep their jobs during this economic downturn. Oh, I, won't, I won't be anxious about getting sick myself. I won't be anxious about the people I know that have tested positive. I won't be anxious about, I won't check my, my retirement fund. Sure. And Paul says, that's great, Steve. All those things would make you anxious. And I'm telling you, don't be anxious about anything. Written by a man in confinement who had every reason to be anxious. Written by a man who was missing everything that was normal and wondering if he was ever going to get out of this alive. How is Paul not anxious? And you say, well, how do you know he's not anxious? Because Paul was never one to tell you to do something that he himself was not doing. He had been doing this for years. We saw Paul 10 years ago in that Philippian jail, and he was acting the very same way. He and Silas were singing praises at midnight with their legs in stocks and their backs bruised and bloody from a beating. How was it that they were rejoicing in the Lord? But they were, and here's how he says, we were not anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we were presenting our requests to God. And that's how Paul does it. It's not that he doesn't have anxious thoughts swirling around him all the time. It's that he grabs that anxious thought and then he reforms it and then gives it to God in the form of a petition, a thanksgiving, a prayer. And then the anxious, another anxious thought, and he grabs that thought, reforms it, 
and lets go of it in prayer. He takes every anxious thought captive and reforms it as a prayer. If the devil wants to continue to trouble him with anxious thoughts, then the devil's going to have to deal with Paul's prayer life. And Paul does this over and over and over until it just becomes his habit. And that's what I'm wishing for you, that every time you worry, you would take that worry and reshape it into an expectation of God coming through. Wow. All right, so before I knew I was going to tell you to do that, I've been trying to do this this week, and it is difficult. It's not easy. I have not always succeeded. I found out that I worry a lot more than I thought I did. I told Brenda that. She goes, well, no joke. She said, the other night, remember when I asked you if you were okay? And I said, yeah. I go, did I not look okay? And she goes, no, you didn't sound okay. She goes, I heard you sigh three times in about four minutes. And she goes, I knew there was something on your heart and you were anxious. And, and then you, I asked you and you said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. She goes, you either thought you were fine and you weren't or you just weren't telling me. And I go, no, I probably thought I was okay, but I'm not in touch enough with the things that are really troubling me. And so what has happened is this exercise has caused me to get in touch with those things. And now I'm trying to learn to turn each of those fretting, fearful things into faith-based, faith-filled prayer. And therefore, I've been praying a lot more. Uh, I've been trying to check in with the Lord every hour or two about how often I've been washing my hands. I've also been scrubbing my mind of the germs of worry. And I've even come to, when I, when I wash my hands with soap and water, I have, uh, you know, you're supposed to do it for 20 seconds. And so I have, uh, I learned that praying the Lord's Prayer takes 20 seconds. And so instead of singing the happy birthday song twice, I've been praying the Lord's Prayer. I have prayed the Our Father more times in the last few days than I think I have uh, in the last uh, year. Another thing, someone um, this week taught me that the Greek word Paul uses for prayer is out of Greek literature. It wasn't out of Scripture. This word he uses, and it means an exchange of wishes, as if we are wishing God would do some things, and he is wishing to bless us. Do this, Paul says, do this over and over, and here's what will happen. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, which means it's an illogical peace. It's, a, it's not a, uh, a peace that you can work up. It's unexplainable. It's impossible. It's transcendent. It's, it's a gift from God, how he guards our hearts and guards our mind. The peace of God that puts everything in perspective, it's not that we aren't afraid. It's what we do with that fear. When, to receive the peace of God means that you don't fall apart even though things seem uh, uncertain. Uh, it's a superhuman peace. That's why it says it transcends human understanding. It's a received peace beyond anything you could gain through meditation or medication, this peace is given to us when we ask for it from God. It's not because we bury our head in the sand and act like everything's fine. No, uh, it's not because nothing bad could ever happen to a Christ follower. We know better. But it's how we cope with knowing that, that something bad could happen and that God would bring us through that just like he brings us through the other things, that the God of peace will bring us through in a peaceful fashion.
You know, there's so many stories in the Bible of how God, God brought people through situations. He didn't save them from trouble. He saved them through trouble. I was reading again this week, book of Daniel. You're going to want to open that one because there's several stories in that first half of the book of Daniel about God bringing Daniel and his three buddies through something. There's this one time when his three buddies refused to bow down to a statue of Nebuchadnezzar the king. And the king's furious. And he takes those guys and he wraps them up in ropes and he throws them into this huge furnace, which was a small room where they would stoke with firewood that would heat the whole palace. And they throw them into this furnace, and the fire was so hot, but when they were thrown in the furnace, the guys were just in there walking around. The king looked in there, and he saw them walking around, and it says that he saw someone else walking around. And he said there were four, not three. And he said the fourth one looked like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar was right. God was right there in the furnace. He had not saved the boys from the furnace. He had saved them through the furnace. And uh, I think that these stories can really encourage us. The Old Testament's full of stories like this. The New Testament is also full of, say, the words of Christ, uh, where Jesus over and over tells us, don't be afraid. Right up until that last night, he was with them, where he said this. He said, I'm leaving you peace. I'm giving you my peace. I'm not giving to you what the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said, and do not be afraid. He says this within hours of his arrest, which terrified them so much that they ran away, all except for John and Peter. And soon Peter had denied him as well because of fear. Jesus knew what they were about to face. And friends, before this coronavirus hit, Jesus knew it was going to hit. And he's actually prepared you for this way more than you know. Even reflect back on some things you learned in the weeks <clears throat> and months before this. And remember, God has been getting you ready for this. Did he spare it? Did he spare us? No. He's letting us go through it. <clears throat> but at the same time, he's bringing us through it. Finally, Paul writes in verse 8, whatever's true, Whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Back up. Whatever is true, Paul says, think about whatever's true. I ask you, is everything you've been reading, everything you've been hearing true? Get your facts from verified experts, not from Facebook experts. And when the facts scare you, the real facts, then fight the urge to catastrophize. A cat catastrophizing is when you take what could happen and then you say that is what's going to happen. Those are two different things and one of them is not true. We can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves gravitating to thinking that the worst thing that could happen is what's going to happen and that's not true. Whatever's true, this is what we're going to think of. <clears throat> whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's righteous, whatever's pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. These are the eight categories of things we're going to allow ourselves to think. We're going to think pure thoughts and not impure thoughts. And we're going to let the pure thoughts disinfect the impure thoughts, the germs of terrible thoughts. So let's all choose what we think about. If you're like me, you've thought about the coronavirus enough today. You've probably thought about the coronavirus enough 
for here on out. I mean, you need to stay informed, but not every three hours. You don't need to keep reading about the coronavirus. You don't need to keep talking about the coronavirus. Put a pin on that. Take a Sabbath from coronavirus. Just like you're fighting the urge to eat junk food or food that will make you feel miserable in a few hours, take control of what you allow your mind to consume. Here's your diet for today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. Ready? Whatever's true, noble, righteous, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That's your cupboard. That's your food source. That's your refrigerator. You have no other consumables except these eight categories of foods. That is brain food. That's what your brain is going to be allowed to consume. And when you FaceTime your friends, set the boundaries. Hey, listen, I'm on a special diet. I can't talk about coronavirus. I'm not going to talk about politics either for that matter. I can only talk about whatever's true and noble and righteous and you've got the list. This controlled diet will allow Christ to immediately begin to cleanse your brain and replace your panic with peace. I dare say that if you were to do what I'm saying, even 24 hours from now, you are going to feel so much better. You're allowing Jesus to settle your heart, allowing him to guard it from future attack allowing him to settle your mind and guard it as well. Read on our final verse for today, verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, Paul says, whatever you've seen me do, put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. Do what you've seen me do, Paul says. And this is such a beautiful challenge to us older believers to step up as an example I remember going to camp one year and the preacher, I don't remember anything else that he said that, that week, but I remember this one phrase that stuck with me. He said, you may be the only Bible that people ever read. You may be the only Bible that people ever read. Now, when I first digested that, I took it like all the preaching, I took it as a guilt trip. And a per, kind of a perfectionistic kid, I was like, well, I'm going to fail at that, you know. But you know, now that I'm in the third and, and final act of my life, it feels like uh, an invitation to just be transparent with my struggles, to be open with my victories as well as, as, as things that I haven't conquered yet to the point that someone watching me would really benefit. We older Christians have so much to offer the younger. During this season, experience has taught us that trusting the Lord actually works. It does. We're the ones who know this phrase, this too shall pass. All because, as Paul says here, the God of peace is with us. I was talking to my friend Crystal. She's one of our up-and-coming Bible teachers here at Cornerstone. And she said, well, Pastor Steve, you can't believe it. I was, I was in the group that was calling those that are 65 and older and just checking in with them, making sure they're okay, finding out if they need anything, just want to encourage them, pray for them. She goes... I had no idea. She said, I yet to have a phone call where they were not encouraging me and praying for me and, and saying, Crystal, hang in there. And it really is true that those of us at this, in this generation that I am in and older, we can tell the younger, hey, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we are going to get through this and we're going to get through this together and we're going to be better 
for it. And that's the perspective we need. That's the perspective our neighbors need as well. You know, we don't have a cure yet for this terrible virus, but we, have, we do have a cure for what this virus is doing to us mentally and emotionally. The virus has not just attacked our bodies, it has attacked our soul. And Jesus stands ready to defend us if we will allow him. Instead of worrying, our part would be to pray. Every time we catch ourselves worrying, we grab it, form it, put it together, and say that looks more like a prayer request, and then we release it to the Father. And we do that over and over again uh, until we've started to have less worries and more feelings of faith. Because, friends, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We take every thought captive. That's what the Bible says. We take every thought captive. We meditate on what we know and who we know. And before we know it, that sense of God's abilities will overshadow any fear that we have. And the peace that passes understanding will hover over us, be around us, and even be in us. Uh, it'll take days for you to develop this new habit uh, of not fretting about what you can't fix. But at the end of these days, you're going to be so much stronger. And remember this, when Jesus said, consider the lilies, consider the birds, don't worry, don't be anxious, take one day at a time. This wasn't a command where you're supposed to feel guilty. This was an invitation to get outside and breathe some of that beautiful spring air and, you know, take your Claritin because it's going to make you sneeze like it has me. But that's normal for spring. And I was out in my backyard uh, today just thinking about this sermon, and I just watched the squirrels just running back and forth and having a blast like they always do but without a care in the world. And I could hear the birds singing, and I could hear Jesus saying, if I love these birds and I'm taking care of these birds, don't you think that I I'm taking care of you. He said, Steve, don't wait for circumstances to get better before you rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Thrive while you are still in the trial. So that when you're out of the trial, you will spring forward into an amazing life. Life's going to look different. I don't know what the, 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 the new normal will be. I, I, don't, I can't, I have no crystal ball. But I'm connected with the one who knows, and so are you. And so you can ask God. I'm assuming, God, that you're redeeming this for good because the Bible says that's what you do. Help me to see the possibilities that are coming through even now and accept his invitation into his peace. Now, one more thing before we celebrate communion because I have been told that there are people that have started watching uh, that aren't necessarily yet fully uh, committed followers of Christ. And that is fantastic. If you have watched this 31-minute sermon and you sat through our worship and all, and you're still with us, you know that tells me something about it, you. You are a lot closer to being a follower of Christ than you ever thought. Who would have thought that it would have taken the coronavirus to get you off that fence? But you know what? Today's your day because today is the day when you're going to commit to Christ and you're going to say, yeah, uh, it actually already has been happening in my heart, but I just want to make it official. I want to make it public. And around here at Cornerstone, we, we make public confessions of our faith. 
I encourage you to receive him. And if you're doing that, you see that button right there? Hit that button that says, I'm deciding now to follow after Jesus. All right. Um, grab your, the, the wine or the juice or whatever you have and grab the cracker or the bread and get ready uh, because uh, uh, Pastor Diane from our Brentwood campus is going to lead us all in a sweet time of communion. I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to give you a hug when this is all over. But for now, this is going to be good enough. God bless. Hi, church. It's so good to be joining you and leading you in this time of communion. My name is Diane Rutledge, and I'm from our Brentwood campus. Today, Pastor Steve took us through Philippians 4, and I love that we started um, with the the verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Because that's what communion is. It's a time where we pause and we give thanks to Jesus for the things that he has done. Now, maybe this is your first time taking communion, and you're not really sure what this means. It's a religious term, but that's all it means. It means where we pause and we just thank Jesus for what he did. Um, And the very first communion was served by Jesus to his disciples. And we can read about that in Matthew 26, verse 26. And to give us a little bit of context, they're celebrating a Passover meal. So the Jews were in a season where they were celebrating God for his faithfulness in the past. But in the middle of this meal, Jesus does something different. And this is where we pick up in verse 26. He says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what's incredible about this moment is that his disciples didn't really understand what he was saying, but Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen to him. He was about to endure death on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. But what's incredible is that he paused to give thanks for his broken body. And then he paused to give thanks for his blood that would be shed. Now, this is not a normal response to knowing that you're going to endure complete agony. But Jesus was the savior of the world. And so he knew what needed to happen. And it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross so that we could be united with God. And so... A lot of times when we take communion, we pause and we give thanks to God. And I don't know about you, but my heart is filled with burdens and anxiety. And it's hard for me to think of things that are good right now, to focus on good things. But in Philippians 4, the passage that we were in today, I love what Paul says when he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, focus on those things. And sometimes it's hard to do that. But in this moment, we can replace all of those things that we can't think of and just focus on Jesus because he is those things. See, Jesus is true. He's the one true God. He's noble. He is God. And yet he came into creation and he dwelt among the lowliest of peoples. And he said, no, you are mine. I don't care what anyone else says about you. I'm calling you to be with me. 
See, Jesus is lovely and he's admirable and he's absolutely praiseworthy. So in this moment, that is what we focus our thoughts on. And if you're having trouble thinking of things to be grateful for, thinking of things to just rejoice in, we can rejoice in Jesus always because he truly is the savior of the world. He is the one that came into creation to call us home. So if you have your bread and your juice or whatever it is, let's take that together right now. Now, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, you, this could be a Triscuit or a goldfish or just whatever you had on hand, and it might feel a little awkward, but God knows what this truly represents. This is a moment where we just want to acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that we're so thankful for the things that he did for us. And so God sanctifies these elements. He sanctifies this cup and whatever it is that you're holding onto that represents the bread, which was his body. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give thanks for the bread and then I'm gonna give thanks for the cup and we'll be able to take these together as one family online. So bow your heads with me and I'll give thanks for the bread. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your body that was broken. I thank you that you did not despise the cross, that you boldly went for it so that we could be united with you. God, I just want to acknowledge all that your son endured as his body was beaten and broken for us and how difficult that must have been, but how good you are to give us your son. All right, church, let's take the bread together. And now you can take the cup and bow your heads with me and I'll give thanks for it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cup. I thank you for your blood that was shed for us, that you absorbed the wrath of God, that the punishment we deserved you took upon yourself. I thank you for reconciling all of creation for connecting us to you, for being courageous and bold as you endured the cross for us. All right, church, let's drink this together. And I'm just gonna pray for us as we close this time together. You can bow your heads with me one more time. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message and just how good it has been for our souls that we can take a moment to stop thinking about the things in our world and to focus on you, the thing that is most true and most noble and most praiseworthy. God, I pray for courage for anyone that is listening right now that is going through a hard time and they're not sure what tomorrow brings. I just ask that you would comfort them, that you would be close to them and they would feel your presence. God, I pray that your church would rise up in this dark time and that they would be the light of the world, that we would bring hope and good news that no matter what it is we face in this world, God, you're bigger than it and you're greater than it and that our anchor and our hope is in you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, hey, if you have children with you, if you're a family watching online, I just want to let you know that we've created a resource to help you lead your children through communion. So there is a link in this video or in the chat room. Our worship pastor, Trisha Matson and her family put this video together, so we hope you'll check that out. 
And then also, if you need prayer this week, we would love to pray for you. Right here in the chat, I'll be in there. And if you need prayer, definitely write it in the comments or you can press a tab to just privately pray for someone. But I know that this message may have stirred up some things in you and you may need prayer. So definitely step out in faith and ask for prayer. And finally, if, um, yeah, if you need to take a next step with Jesus, you can invite friends online. I know how good this has been for me to experience this online service with all of my friends from around the world. And so we want to extend this experience to anyone and to everyone. So if you have a friend that you know would benefit from hearing this message, definitely invite them next week so that they can join us. And become a ministry partner with us as well. If you are appreciating the services that we provide here at Cornerstone, through our online um, just experiences, you can give online as well and help us continue to bring the gospel into the world. We're so glad you joined us today. I love you, church. Until next time.